The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is ex- the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I am broadcasting today live from the frozen tundra of Ireland. In case y'all don't know, um, we're not having good weather right now, and um, you might hear it in my voice, it's it's really cold, we actually have snow, first time in a long time, uh, big heavy snow, I'm looking out at the, the window and all I see is white, it's quite magical, but uh, really really cold, really dangerous, the whole country has shut down, and the media, as the way the media always does, is we have to have a fancy catchphrase, you know, we can't just say there's a snowstorm coming, that things are going to be really bad, that things are going to be dangerous, that doesn't sell. So we've, we've had this tall slogan, which everyone loves to repeat, the beast from the east. The beast from the east. Well, I'm surviving the beast from the east, apart from being really sick and fluey and cold, because it's really bad over here. It's like minus, I think it was like minus five, minus six last night. It's really, really, really cold. For me, I'm not a warm-blooded, I need warm weather. I need Texas weather, not, not this type of weather. We have a jam-packed show for you today. I want to talk to you a lot about some of the arguments that I'm hearing right now, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know how long my voice is going to hold, but I'm going to get through as much as I can, because I've been watching from afar this week, and honestly, I'm frustrated as hell. I've watched Republicans, I've watched your president, I've watched conservatives, quote-unquote, and I use that term extremely loosely in today's world, all of a sudden talk like Democrats. They're using phrases, they're using solutions to this horrific shooting in Florida. And honestly, I, I, I always wonder, I always play devil's advocate, I always go as a policy. And I do this for myself. Um, you know, and I do this at all the time. Am I consistent? So if I happen to have someone I like in, in the White House, and I go, well, he's a Republican, and he says this, and I always go, well, if Barack Obama said the exact same thing, would I be as happy? Would I be like, that's a, actually, that's a good policy? Or would I be the exact opposite? I always wonder, some of the stuff I'm hearing today from Republicans and conservatives, and again, I use the conservative label extremely loosely, because I don't know if anyone, a lot of the people in politics, actually understand what conservatism actually is, hence why I did last week's show. Um, but I always wonder if, would the conservatives and the reaction be to some of the stuff that has been discussed over the last two weeks be the same if Hillary Clinton was president? I contend it would not be. I contend if, if some of the stuff that was discussed by the talking heads in the media, by the Republican politicians, if Hillary Clinton was president and said the exact same thing, you, a lot of you would be losing your ever-loving minds. 
So I want to talk to you today about the, the some of the arguments that have been made. And I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. I pretty much am going to annoy everyone who listens to this show today. I'm going to annoy you. It's a spoiler alert because I'm going to talk about things that even I've seen some conservatives say and I'm I'm like very uncomfortable with. And I'm going to explain why. But before I do, I want to lay out a case which I think is very important of why the Second Amendment is so critical. We did a segment on this show a couple of weeks ago, um, if you haven't listened to it, go back to it, where I said the Second Amendment is not about guns, it's about nature's law and a right to self-defense. Why am I such a supporter of the Second Amendment? Well, it goes back to several things we've discussed over the last couple of months in the, the constitutional segments. I fundamentally met, believe we are all created equal. Therefore, no one has a right to tell anyone else how to live. If you decide to defend yourself with a, an AR-15, good for you. I do not have a right to tell you otherwise. If you decide, you know what, to defend my family, to defend myself against a tyrannical government, to defend my, my, my property, I need 10 handguns. Good for you. I have no right to tell you how to live. If you fundamentally believe we are all created equal, you do not have a right to tell anyone else how to live. Just leave people alone. If you feel you need the, the need for a, a high-capacity magazine of 30 bullets, that's for you. Which, by the way, just on that point, you know, I've heard so many talking heads going, well, do you really need a magazine with 30 bullets? You know what I find ironic about the people who say that? The people who actually need, uh, the chances are the people who need that high-capacity magazine of 30 bullets are usually the people who would argue most staunchly against it. I have a lot of conservative friends who are very conservative, very libertarian, who are in gun ranges, I'm going to say on the low side, once a month. They don't need 30 bullets if someone breaks into their house. Chances are they're going to they're going to get them first shot, maybe second shot. It's the people who I am for, you know, these people who are all around, all around the media. Well, I love the Second Amendment, but... There's always a but. I love the Second Amendment. I defend the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is great, but. It's these people who, who love the idea of guns, who never shoot it. It's up in their closet or in a safe, and they don't touch it from one year to the next. They never clean it. That if they, God forbid, needed it, they're the people who would actually need a 30-bullet magazine. Because the idea that you cannot shoot for a month, six months, 12 months, year and year, and then all of a sudden, something happens, and you think you're going to turn into Jack Bauer and get that person first shot, doesn't work. Also, I don't know about you, but let's excuse the vulgarity of this. Have you ever got up in the middle of the night, you know, to go to the toilet? You know, two, three o'clock in the morning, you need to go pee. You go to the pee. Do you ever think you walk in a straight line to the toilet? Do you think you're the most compass mentis? The reason you need a 30 clip magazine or 30 bullet magazine, not a clip, sorry, is you get up in the middle of the night, if some intruder is in there, you're groggy, you're, oh my God, what, what? You're blurred vision, you're you're not 100% stable. That's why you need it. You're not going to be Jack Bauer and go, well, I just got up out of bed, what's that noise? Bang, first bullet. But again, it's not what you need, it's what you want. It's that right. Again, nature's law, you have a right to defend yourself. But here's why I am so pro-Second Amendment. And it's not pro-gun, it's pro-self-defense. But I am pro-gun. Because simply put, the gun is the greatest equalizer available in self-defense. Let me say that again. It is the greatest equalizer we have ever created in self-defense. 
Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. And I'm not going to talk to you about America right now. I'm going to talk to you about Ireland, where I live. I live in a suburb of Ireland, in this capital city, Dublin. And obviously the demographics are slightly changing now, but historically it's a very old neighborhood. Very old. You know, I, I live, this is my, originally my grandparents' house. It's a lot of people here are 70, 80. There's actually a neighbor down the road from me. I think she's 96 or 97. Very elderly. She lives alone. Now, I ask you, you've seen pictures of me. Let's not even make this about, you know, the most ripped person, the most talented boxer. Just someone like me. There's a big guy who's strong. Um, if I went and said, you know what? I don't like that neighbor. I'm going to go in and do something to her. I'm going to rob her. Do you think she stands a chance against someone like me? Right now in Ireland, where we don't have guns. She might have a stick, but against me, her and a stick, her maybe even a, and a hockey stick or a baseball bat. They don't really have baseball bats over here. I have to bring one over with me. But any weapon, cricket bat, a hurl. Do you think that lady has a chance against me in a one-on-one -on -one fight? Even if there's two of them, even if it's a couple, an elderly couple, do you think they stand a chance against someone like me? No. I destroy them. And I'm not saying that because I'm a tough guy. I'm just saying just laws of economics. Or not laws of economics, laws of, of life. They're in their 80s, they're in their 90s. They're not going to stand a chance against someone young like me. If you have a gun and you have a right to self-defense, I go into that house, I'm, they may have a gun, they may not. But if they have a gun, it's a great equalizer. Because my strength, quote-unquote, doesn't come into it. My physique, my, my speed, and I use the word my speed very loosely because I'm a big guy. None of that comes into play. It's literally, I have a gun and she has a gun. And it's up to how, def how well we are trained with that gun. Am I saying they'd win? I don't know. But what I'm saying is they have a greater chance of survival. Now, I'll give you another example. In Ireland right now, we are a gun-free zone. We don't have guns in Ireland. And when I say we don't have guns, I mean the, you know, the law-abiding citizen, the people who follow the rules, who, who never do anything wrong, who never want to cause anyone harm. I'll use myself as an example there. Can't have a gun. The only people who have guns are some of the police, not all of the police. You know, the beat cop doesn't have a, uh, has a, have a gun. He has a pepper spray. You should be very afraid of that pepper spray. You know, if you're a criminal, the beat cop has pepper spray. Be careful. You know, you don't want to be on the wrong side of a beat cop with pepper spray, man. It's, it gets nasty. That sends the fear of God into criminals, doesn't it? Detectives have guns. And the bad guys have guns. There is an ongoing dispute in Ireland right now, and it's a gang war. Two rival gang wars are killing each other. And sometimes individuals who are innocent have got caught up in it. We're no different. We have gang crime, we have street crime, we have a, every type of crime that you have in America. Because people do not have a right to defend themselves in their own home, and do not have a right to, to carry a gun, if something happens in my neighborhood, and for whatever reason that gang comes to it and there's an event, and I, I happen to be a witness to it, I'm not, def I'm not testifying against them. Why? Because I know they'll come from me and my family. And I know they have guns and I don't. I know I'm a sitting duck. Why would I testify? Why would I put myself at risk? 
These are some of the reasons why the Second Amendment is valuable. Is it the answer to everything? No. But you have a fundamental right to defend yourself. Which brings me to this term which everyone is throwing out all day long. Republicans, conservatives, liberals, Democrats, the media. Well, you know, okay, look, what you said, John, is fine. You can have a handgun to defend yourself. You don't need an assault rifle. This term is like, it's like a, a weed you have in the ground. It just spreads like wildfire and is just taking over the debate. So let me explain this in very simple terms as someone who is an Irish person and while I love guns and have been blessed to shoot many of them, I am not the most expert on guns. Every gun has the capacity to be an assault rifle. You take any handgun, you know, a six-shooter, a, a, you know, a handgun that everyone thinks is fine, to an AR-15, to whatever, you know, double-barrel shotgun, whatever gun. Every gun is an assault rifle. This idea that certain rifles are okay and certain rifles are not. What I find incredible is this, this talk about an AR-15. What I find incredible is people are talking about AR-15s and they absolutely know nothing. The reason an AR-15, and it doesn't stand for Assault Rifle 15, which I saw some liberal on Twitter post, you know, you don't need an Assault Rifle 15. I went, what's an Assault Rifle 15? Really? I, I just, the, the, the level of, I'm going to say it, ignorance is incredible on this subject. It looks frightening. Well, it looks frightening. Should a gun look frightening? Yes, every gun. You, If you look, there's not a gun I want to look at and kind of go, do you know, that gun looks really nice. That gun looks like a friendly gun. I want to go talk to that gun. Every gun should be, if you understand the power of guns, even a little six-shooter with a low-capacity bullet is frightening. It may not kill you, it will hurt you. This idea that certain guns look scary and certain guns are like by default not scary is ignorance. And it's underlying a problem you have in America. You're not taking guns seriously. Even by those who quote unquote want gun control. Every gun should be scary. Or you should be scared of every gun. Because of the capacity it can do. It is not a baking machine. It is not a telephone it is a weapon that potentially can do grave damage, and you have to respect it. Because if you point a gun at someone, there's not an unlimited amount of scenarios that can happen. Like, imagine you, I'm right in front of you right now, and you're pointing a gun at me. There's only a couple of scenarios that can happen. One, you can shoot and kill me. Two, you can shoot me, and it hurt me. You know, shoot me in the arm, shoot me in the leg, immobilize me. Three, you might not be quick enough. I might shoot you first. Or four, you put your handgun down. You put your gun down and you don't fire and I don't fire. They're the only scenarios when you point a gun at someone that can happen. It's not like there's like this long list of scenarios. Well, if you point a gun at someone, there's all these things that can happen. There's four things that can happen. Four. And one of them is predetermined on I have a gun to point back at you. If I don't have a gun, there's only three. Shoot to kill, shoot to hurt, put your handgun down. Or, not your handgun, your gun down. Sorry, I'm, I'm groggy with the flu. 
They're the only scenarios. When we come back, I have been following the debate, and someone asked me a question, because they, they thought about Switzerland, and they're toying around with this idea of mandatory gun ownership. I want to talk to you about that, but I also want to talk to you about school security, and some of the debate that I hear conservatives talking about right now, which I'm troubled by. When we come back, I want to address them. Don't go anywhere, America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. Pat Gray. Look how far that party has come. The Democrat Party since 1963, when JFK died. It's unbelievable. It's unrecognizable. The Democrat Party has more in common now with the Communist Party than they do with JFK. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm active on social media, Freedom Disciple on Twitter, uh, JonathanDunn58 on Facebook, look me up, or my website, freedomsdisciple.com. If you're a long-term listener to this show, you know, I used to do a segment called Life in Utopia, where I'd answer your questions and, and break it down. And I got a question this week, I got a very interesting private conversation with someone, and they were they were horrific, horrified at the, the shooting in Florida, and they said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating this idea. You know, this idea of mandatory gun ownership. That if everyone had a gun, a lot of these problems would be solved. What do you think? I had a very good back and forth. Um, and I want to explain something to you. Just because you like a policy doesn't mean it, it, sh- it isn't a form of tyranny. I have to be blunt about it. You know, everyone thinks of tyranny as this, you know, evil... You know, you know, tyranny. If I, if I talk to you about tyrants and tyranny, you talk about, you know, you automatically might think of Vladimir Putin in Russia. You might think of King Jong Un in in North Korea. You might think of, you know, Hezbollah and the terrorist groups. You might think of the Ayatollah in Iran. You can be a t- the nice tyrant. You can be a tyrant um, and have the best intentions in the world. Making something mandatory is a form of tyranny. Even if you think, you know what, it'll solve every problem. I'm giving people the right to have a gun. Surely that's not a form of tyranny. It is if you're making it mandatory. I have yet to see a form of tyranny that works. Anytime you're talking about making it mandatory, even someone like me who is as pro-Second Amendment and pro-freedom and pro-gun, I'd be like, no, I'm not supporting that. Anytime you want to, if the word mandatory or is even alluded to, I'm not with you, I'm sorry. I don't care. You, you can stop talking after. Well, what, should we make this mandatory? And regardless of what this is, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be with you. Regardless if I even think it's the right answer. Do I think everyone should own a gun? Actually, actually, no, I don't. I think a large chunk of people should. But making it mandatory? No, I'm sorry, you've lost me. I'm for freedom. I'm letting people decide. Because if you believe all men are created equal, truly believe that, I don't have a right to tell you how to live your life. I do not have a right to say, hey, look, you need a gun. That is the best self-defense. It is the greatest equalizer. You have to own it. As much as I might try and convince them one-to-one, 
I might even try and convince them as organizations. But telling them they have to hold a gun is a form of tyranny, and I'm sorry you've lost me. Which brings me on to my next point, school security. The reason I'm going to talk to you about school security right now is because there's been a lot of talk about it. And there's been a lot of conservatives, including my boss, Glenn Beck, who's like, we need to have armed people at schools, and, and he's done a great job of highlighting why that is. The reason I'm going to talk to you about school security and why some of the conversations that have happened this week frighten the hell out of me is because people who are having these conversations, they sound great, but what frightens me is that there's people who are going to take that and then make it into a government edict and make it into government's job to follow these laws. I, I agree with school security. We need to make that. We need a new law. And I used to, if this was far, two, three, four years ago, I wouldn't have even talked about this segment. I would have went, you know what? Conservatives understand the role of government and how government should work and when government works best. There's no need to talk about that. In 2018, I'm not so sure. So I'm going to ask for your patience on this. Should schools have security? Absolutely. If I ran a school, and I'm just going to start with this, if I ran a school, I would probably have metal detectors on the front doors. I would put up big signs, similar to what actually, you know, the Blaze has. We are a gun-free zone in that no visitors and no guests and no people can carry guns. However, our staff fully carry guns. The first person you generally see at the Blaze Studios is a security guard who is packing. And you will see other people. And you see quite a few guns at the Blaze if you, if you know where to look. There are staff there that are armed and that are highly trained. There are security it is very impressive. You get a sense of you, you are protected in there. I don't look at the blaze as, well, it's just the blaze was like a prison. No, blaze is like Fort Knox. It's very secure. I know when I'm in the blaze, there's nothing happening. Just, I know it because I've seen the boys around and I've spoken to some of the security guards. That is how I would run a school. I would have vets. I would have a security detail. This is how I would run a school. However, what I fear is that people are going to make, eventually going to turn this into a bill that every school has to have X, Y, and Z. And that frightens me. It frightens me because there is an acceptance in America right now to forget what made America exceptional. An acceptance of every time there's a problem, the federal government has to be involved. That is not how America was set up. Any bill for school security... I, I'm gonna, I personally cannot make an argument that any bill, and I mean any bill of school security, of making it mandatory, is part of the numerated powers. I'm sorry, I, I can't find it in Article 1, Section 8. If you can find how you could pass that as a federal government part, please let me know. But I, I can't see how you do it. Secondly, it goes against federalism. It goes against states' rights. The federal government telling people and schools how they need to operate is against states' rights. That is a job for the states. But even in this case, it is not actually a states' rights issue, I don't think. I believe government works best when it is as close to the people as possible. So let me ask you a question. Picture your local school. Picture your local school, and picture if you want, or maybe some of you listening have kids, Think of your school. Whose responsibility is it to keep your kids safe? 
Because I look at it and I kind of go, I can think of all these people whose job it is to keep your your kids safe, and the federal government isn't one of them. The state government isn't even there. The responsibility, in my eyes, lies with the school and the school board and the board of directors, the school teachers, you as parents, and local law enforcement. I don't see a job for state governments and federal governments. What I believe needs to happen if you want to get talk about security and how you stop these horrific mass school shootings is schools need to step up. Schools need to step up about their own security and take their own security serious. And when I say take their own security serious, I mean, I don't mean like a checklist to see, well, how can we limit liability? You know, we look at all the regulations and what our insurance company says and says, well, if we follow these to the law, you know, we're not liable. We're, we're not negligible. We did all these things. I actually mean if they took it seriously and said, we don't want any school shootings. What do we want to do? And if they find putting up banners is popular, go for it. If they think having vets is popular, go for it. If they want to have an organization with the parents where, you know, down south, where parents, um, you know, drop their kids in pickup trucks and they generally have gun racks on it and they want to patrol them at, at collect, dropping off times and collection times, that's their responsibility. It is the job of the, the school to dis- depend on what security it has. But likewise, it's the job of your parents to look at the school and kind of go, hey, I'm thinking of sending my little kid Johnny to your school next year. What's your school security? And then you making a judgment call, kind of going, I really like what they heard. They really, they have good shifts. They have their idea. They're never going to have a school shooting. Please, God, I'm sending them there. Or, I don't really like them. They didn't sound very secure. They were like, I'm not sure what we do. And they didn't give me a warm sense of security. I'm not sending my kid there. School security is up to the schools. But this is also why I'm against a bill to make school security. If you have a federal government law that says, let's just take just take some of the solutions that have been thrown out there. One of them was by Donald Trump. What I think he said 20% of school teachers armed. If you have that, and then you have metal detectors... If you have a one-size-fits-all policy, you're putting your schools at a tactical disadvantage. Why? Why do I say that? Why is putting, if you have all these laws, you're putting your school at a tactical disadvantage? The reason is because people will research the law. Bad people who want to do bad things will kind of go, hey, every school has 20% of its teachers are, has these signs, has patrol going in and going out. I'll just monitor what they do. And then I'll find the weakness, and then I'll do my mass shooting. If you don't make it public, or you make it harder to find, and that each school is different, it makes it harder for these school shootings. But I believe it is not the responsibility for the federal government, or in this case the state government, to decide what the security is. It's up to the individual. You know that crazy idea of maximum freedom, maximum responsibility? Everyone loves to talk about, hey, I have all these freedoms. It's time to start talking about responsibility. But also, I want to just talk to you about one other thing. Because we have... It's easy when you see the world a certain way. And I'll say this whether you're a conservative, libertarian, or a liberal. To kind of go, I think the world should be this way. And the easy thing to do is to kind of go, I think the world should be this way. 
and this is the way everyone should do it. It's very easy to fall into that fallacy. Very easy. What I always also try and do is kind of go, use an example of the exact opposite of what you think, and kind of go, do they have a right? School security. If here is a school, and I'm, I'm just going to say, let me give you an example. School in New York City, in Manhattan. Down in, uh, down in near, the, near, near the World Trade Centers. There's a school down there. If that school comes together and says, you know what, we've taken our school, we take our school security important, we're in Manhattan, nothing's going to happen, we don't want any guns in our uh, school, we don't want any teachers armed, and we want it to be known we are a gun-free zone. Do they have that right? Yes. I think it's foolish. Would I send my kid there if I had kids? Not a chance in hell. But do they have that right? Yes. Do you have a right to send your kids to a school that is a gun-free zone? As much as you don't like it and you think it's ludicrous, if you believe in freedom, you have to stand for all freedoms. It's easy to stand for the freedoms that you particularly like. You know, the freedom of, well, do you think teachers should be armed? Well, I'm pro-Second Amendment. Yes, I do. Do you think teachers have a right to say no? Even if you are pro-Second Amendment? Or a school has a right to be gun-free, even if you're pro-Second Amendment, even though it goes against everything you know is feasible and, and what will work? That's where it gets hard. That is where we need to have an honest dialogue. Schools have a right to set up their security as best as they can. And parents have the responsibility to see what the school security is, get them more involved in the kids' lives, and to make a decision. And if they're not happy, send them somewhere else. Which brings me to one last point on this subject. I want to play a bit of audio for you. An audio which I, f I when I heard, I, I, I actually, let me give you the background of this. I saw this written and I went, there's no way in hell this person said this. There is no way in hell this person said this. And then I found the audio. And what troubles me firstly is this person said this, and now the justification of what has been said really troubles me. It actually troubles me more that we are justifying this. Because I guarantee you, if a Democrat had said this, conservative talk radio would have lost its ever-loving mind this week. Here is the audio I want to play for you. Any weapons... In the position we're going to take the firearms first and then go to court because that's another system because a lot of times by the time you go to court it takes so long to go to court to get the due process procedures uh, i like taking the guns early like in this crazy man's case that just took place in florida he had a lot of fires they saw everything to go to court would have taken a long time so you could do exactly what you're saying but take the guns first go through due process I saw the transcript of this and I lost my mind. I said, there's no way Donald Trump said that. He is crazy. He wouldn't say that. That's impossible. And then I saw the video. That troubled me. And then the reaction to it. Well, the, uh, you know, some people, including my Blaze colleague Sarah Gonzalez, put out a tweet going, is there any justifying this? And the amount of people went, yeah, there is a justification for it. Let me be blunt with you. If conservatives just go along with this type of thinking, we're all done. If libertarians go along with this type of thinking, we're all done. 
Now, I'm not slamming Donald Trump. I know people go, oh, there's John again, going back to his old ways. Oh, he's just such a never-Trumper. I've given Trump plenty of credit when he's right. This is wrong. We either have... Sorry, I can't say we. Y'all either have a Fourth Amendment right to be secure in your persons and your papers, and a Fifth Amendment right to due process and a a fair and speedy trial, or you don't. You You can't have it both ways. I'm sorry to tell you this. You cannot be, I'm a constitutionist, and I love the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights is the greatest thing since sliced bread, but, well, Donald Trump said something, well, there's a justification for it. What frustrates the hell out of me is politicians, and this is not a Donald Trump thing, this is a Donald Trump thing, this is a GOP thing, this is a Democratic thing, this is the sheriff down in Florida thing. I'm sick and tired of people arguing about government inefficiencies, and then blaming the people and taking away their rights to cover for government inefficiencies. Now, what he said is partially true. It does take time to go through a court process. But if you're so worried and frustrated about that, then improve the court system. Come up with scenarios and kind of go, look, we have this scenario where this... And let's just even you, let's just play along with everything he said, that this school shooter in Florida. It would have taken him too long to go through the process of going to a court. Well, then work on the court. Let's have a conversation about the courts. How do you streamline them? How do you make them more efficient? What frustrates me is you are taking away innocent people's rights every day of the week. What's next? And what's, you know what one of the next solutions might be? And I do, God forbid this actually ever happens. But it wouldn't surprise me in America in 2018. Where you have another type of FISA court just to take people's weapons away. You know, these FISA courts where no one knows who the judges, no one knows the cases that I make, but we just go and we can go and listen on you. These FISA courts where no one understands what they are. And that's if they can be bothered to go to the FISA court to apply for a warrant that you'll never understand, never know to be spied on. That's if they go through the legal process. A lot of times they don't. They just go, well, we're just going to take the data anyway. This is what happened a couple of weeks ago in your Congress, where they continued the NSA's run. You either believe in the rights of people, or you don't. You can't have it both ways. Let's have a conversation. If you really think the court system is bad, then let's have a conversation about how you streamline it, how you make it more efficient. Which leads me to the next point. All these people now calling for more police powers. I am pro-police. There's a reason every show I finish the way I do. I salute them. I have met many brave men and women who have done incredible things. The vast majority of police I have met will defend your constitutional right to bear arms. They will be the open ones saying, I actually want everyone to bear arms. I actually prefer it. They will defend your constitutional right for freedom of speech. You know, all of them. To due process. To be secure in your person. They don't want any of this spying. But what they, when you start talking about more police powers, it just sounds great. We need to give the police more powers. No, they have the powers they need. What they need is to stop being handcuffed. Let them do their job. Let's get to a system where we actually talk about the problems and not trample on innocent people's rights. Because I'm sorry, and I'll say this again, and I know it's going to upset people who are Donald Trump supporters listening. This is not Donald Trump. This has been going on a very long time. This has been going on... And it's gotten worse since George Bush. Where conservatives, and I include myself in this initially, 
where we were so pro-constitution, we're for the constitution, but, you know, we're a terrorist, and, you know, maybe we should listen to people's phone calls, and, you know, maybe we should have a FISA court. I'm so passionate about stand, standing up to this now, because I was one of the gullible, quote-unquote, conservatives under George Bush, who thought, maybe there is a case, May, look, you know, maybe there is some cases to listen to some people's calls. Maybe we do need a FISA court. I was wrong. You cannot be for the Constitution and wrap yourself in the Bill of Rights and, and your founding documents and then kind of be, well, but. There is no buts in any of the Bill of Rights. You cannot be, well, I'm for free speech, but. I'm for the Second Amendment. All these, cons all these politicians running around, I love the Second Amendment. I think the Second Amendment is awesome. It's so American, but. And then everything else just kind of undermines what they say. Now, if you disagree with me and you're like, you know what, I, I have no problem with Donald Trump's comments, that's fine. I'm not your enemy. I don't see you as my enemy. I just see it as a fundamental disagreement. Because it's not about politicians. It is about natural law and your rights. When we come back, I want to talk to you about something else, which is drama. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a really bad week. <laughs> because everything has been I've seen has annoyed me. I want to talk to you about a catchphrase that's just thrown out now by conservatives when they talk about guns, mental health. I want to actually talk to you about mental health and about nature, nature's law and about your right to defend yourself. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. Apologies for today's show. It's I've been so frustrated, and I, I felt I had to address all these things. And I'm not in the clearest mind. My head is like a a, uh, a big ball of snot. So I've made a few little um, word mistakes, and I apologize. But I want to talk to you about some serious issues. And I I could have taken this week off and come back, but I felt it was so important to talk to you this week. Mental health. I've seen Republicans, conservatives, libertarians just try to say, "Well, you know, we need to do better on mental health." You know, you know, people who have mental health issues should not have a gun, and they just throw this phrase out, and everyone just accepts it. But no one, and this is not a again, just for clarification, it's not a Donald Trump thing. I've heard this excuse in certain sectors going back to 2012. I am always troubled by it because I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to explain it why. Because we never define mental health. We never go through what we mean by, well, if you have mental health issues, you should not own, own a gun. Again, let's go back to what we started with. All people have been created equal. Nature's law to defend yourself. You do not have a right to tell someone else how to live. Let's define mental health. Let me ask you, I'm going to give you some scenarios. And I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Let's start where I always tend to start when I think about scenarios with people who have served. Picture a man or woman who has served three, four, five, six tours in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Syria, 
and they come back with PTSD. They survived a horrific attack, you know, an IED blast. They lost a couple of their colleagues. They're frustrated, they're upset, they're emotional. And they get diagnosed with PTSD. They're patriotic. They love their country. They, they showed how patriotic they are. They showed how much they love their country. They, they were willing to fight for it and they were willing to die for it. But because of the circumstances they found themselves in, they come back to a country and, and we just diagnose them with PTSD. Do they have a right to defend themselves? In this era where it's so cool, and I use that word loosely, cool and hip to insult the military. You know, they're only just killers. Do you really want that person not having a right to self-defense? But let's say you have, you know, your ranges. You know, we, well, we come up with a range of PTSD, John, and, you know, on the severe spectrum, you have to give up your rights. Okay, let's play along. How long do you have to be clean before you get your rights to defend yourself back? You know, so you have severe PTSD and you, you, the government takes away your right to a gun. Then you get better. You go through the, the process. You go through, you know, counseling. How long do you have to be over your PTSD before your gun rights come back? A week? A month? A year? Five years? Ten years? At what point do you get your right to self-defense back? But that's just one scenario. Let me give you another scenario. Let's say a couple. I'm I'm trying to be a I'm trying to be a liberal here. I'm trying to really pull on your heartstrings. Picture a man and woman, totally in love. They live for each other. No family, no kids. They're just absolutely besotted with each other. They're everywhere, they're inseparable. And then they get married. And then they have a kid. And she falls pregnant. And they, they're going to be this one big happy family. And they're so in love and they have this perfect life. They just love each other and, and something happens. And sadly the woman has a miscarriage. And she is distraught. And she is just absolutely in agonizing pain. Everything in her whole world has been ripped and turned upside down. And because of the scenario she finds herself in, she goes to the GP and she just has lost the will to live. And the GP says, look, you're suffering with really bad depression. Understandably so, you've, you've lost your child. I'm going to give you a few antidepressants. Does she lose her right to defend herself? Does she lose her right to, to bear arms? And again, I ask a question. How long does it take for her to get the, her right to defend herself and bear arms back? Let's say she goes through counselling and she's over her mental health issue. How long does it take? A year? A month? A week? Five years? Ten years? Or how about, let me actually give you a scenario. And this is actually a real life scenario of someone I know. Picture a young man, young man, under the age of 18, who lost a very, very close family member, a parent, and was really struggling with this. He had problems in his job, he just didn't care, he had poor performance, 
And someone reached out to him and said, look, you need to go to the doctor. And he went to the doctor and explained everything. And the doctor gave him a, a prescription of one month's antidepressant pills. And that person did not take one of them. But on their record, forever will be a prescription for antidepressants. Even though he never took them. Should that person lose their, their right to bear arms? Now, this, that was an Irish example. But let's just say that happens in America. Well, he, he took antidepressants, what, maybe five, six, eight years ago? He, you know, he, he's a danger. He, 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 he might have depressive tendencies. We, he can't defend himself. He, he hasn't got a right to a gun. Let me give you some other examples. What happens in America right now, where you are very reliant on pills, if it starts with mental health, do you think it's just going to stop there? Mental health, it sounds easy, it's like a catchphrase, like, you know, well, no one would argue against taking the guns away from people who are mentally unstable. Okay, but where does it stop? No one ever has this discussion. I've yet to see a discussion of mental health of where you stop taking guns from people and where you start and how long it takes to get them back. Because where do you think it's going to go? Look at the amount of people. If, imagine if they came out with this scientific thing of, and I, I'm sorry, I don't know your medicines too well. I probably should have researched this. But, you know, take a popular pill like a Xanax. I know you take Xanax. I think you take Xanax over there. There's loads of these painkilling pills that you take. It's like there's a problem, you take a pill for everything. It's the culture that America lives in, Ireland lives in, Europe lives in, all the Western world lives in. If you have a problem, you take a pill. Well, what happens if they find that taking certain pills, you know, there's a chance, you know, because we, we don't care about causation or correlation anymore. We just go, well, you know, 50% of people who take these pills, you know, suffered from depression at some time. Well, then we take their guns as well. What happens if you're reliant on pain pills? Well, we take your guns as well. You see where I'm getting at. But let me go one step further. Should people who have, let's say, and I don't know how people would describe this as, as mental health now or, or going forward, but you know, someone who has, I don't know, autism, do they have a right to defend themselves? Does an autistic kid, our parent, adult, have a right to defend themselves and bear arms? What's, what about someone with ADHD? Do they have right to defend themselves or is that mental health how about someone with down syndrome do they have a right to defend themselves this is the scary scary thing and i'll leave you with the on this subject just something to think about i mean this is a joke but it could happen i often see this meme different versions of this meme on social media you know, liberalism is a mental disease and a mental disorder. And I'm sure people mean it and it's a joking way and it's fine. But how many people, how do you see a scenario going in the future where that won't actually become part of the criteria? If you see the world a certain way, you shouldn't be allowed to have guns. If you're open to conspiracy theories, you shouldn't be allowed to have guns. If you, if you have a certain religion, you shouldn't be allowed to have guns. Either we believe in nature's law and the right to self-defense, or we don't. 
Now, if people are a danger, people will say, so John, so everyone should have a gun? No. I don't have the answer to this, by the way. But what I am concerned about is how we just throw out these words, blasé. Oh, well, mental health, you know, okay, they shouldn't have guns. And we never have an honest discussion about define mental health. Define it of who can and can't have guns. But also, there is due process. If someone is a danger to themselves, whose responsibility is it to do this? What frustrates me with this, this latest shooting, and also all the other shootings, is we automatically look to the federal government. We never talk about responsibility for other people. We never talk about the family's responsibility. So if you have a parent or son or daughter or brother or sister who's mentally unstable and you're kind of going, that person, and I, I actually know a couple of people in my family, I would never want them to have guns. I, I, I would actually be frightened if they had guns. And I'm not saying that, not saying that they would go kill someone. I'm just going, they, they just wouldn't have a clue how to handle it. They, they, they just, you know, there are certain criteria that should be there. They, they wouldn't know how to handle it. They wouldn't know how to arm it properly. They, they wouldn't know how to discharge it properly. They just, I can just think of a couple of people I would not want anywhere near guns. And I don't mean in a mass shooting. I just mean in a, even in a gun range. I'd be like, just, you need to learn how to handle a gun properly. But it's their responsibility as families. We never, ever go to, you know what? Where's the community? Where's the family? Where's the parents? We never have these conversations. Because if you have a kid, and let's just use the kid as an example, if you have a kid that's unstable, the first thing I'm going to go, what did the parents do? What did the parents do to stop that kid having a gun? Did they take adequate precautions? But also, as unpopular as this seems, do they report them to the police? Now, we know in this Parkland shooter, the police didn't do their job. There was plenty of reports, plenty of reasons to go to get a court order, to arrest him, to detain him, to to go through questioning, to maybe take the guns away. But that doesn't happen in every case. Where are the parents that say, my kid is a danger, I never want him near guns? My friends, where? why do we always look to go to, that's how can we hurt innocent people? Which brings me to one last point which really upset me this week. We're now just throwing out this age increase limit. Well, you know, we're going to raise the limit to 21. Can't have a gun unless you're 21. So, the ludicrous of this, and I'm going to just focus in on conservatives for this. You're okay with the military. You're okay with sending 17 and 18 year olds over who sign up to go to some hellhole in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria. You're okay with 17 and 18 and 19 year olds and 20 year olds going over, signing up potentially to be in a war with North Korea. But a 17 or eight, well not 17, an 18 or 19 or 20 year old in America who says, I have, want to have a right to defend myself. No, 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 you can't have that. You don't, you, you can't, you've got to wait till you're 21. And I've heard these ludicrous things. Well, you know, if you, if you can't have a drink of alcohol, you, you shouldn't be allowed to own a gun. Yeah. 
Just on a side point, how about you actually, instead of actually changing the laws to make it harder to do things, why about you look at things and kind of go, you know what, maybe we should actually lower the drinking age. The 21 is kind of stupid. I'm, I know that's not going to, I know that's going to annoy a lot of people. But let's stop using laws in the books as, as if they're, they're so adequate and we are so supportive of them. And just defining it to define a gun. Well, if you can't have a drink of beer, you shouldn't be able to own a gun. Maybe the problem isn't the fact you're not allowed to own a gun. Maybe the problem is you're not allowed to drink beer till you're 21, legally. But I, one thing I would love to see, and if there's a lawyer on this who listens to this, I'd love to hear how this would work. Two things. One, you have a Me Too movement now. Females on college campuses, living alone, working, do not have a right to bear arms because they're not under, they're under 21. They can't have a, own a gun. In the middle of the Me Too movement, where I have all these sexual assaults, where you have all these, these abuses, you're going to deprive women under the age of 21 owning a gun, which is the greatest equalizer man has ever created, Really? But secondly, and this is for the lawyers, if there's a lawyer listening, please reach out. I'd love to know the answer, how this would go. In an America where you are forced to bake a wedding cake for a gay marriage, in America where you cannot refuse service, how can it be legally possible that you can refuse to sell a gun to someone who's under, under 21? Now, I know the laws might change and they're talking about this, and this, this frightens me. But how can you have it, a scenario where that happens? It's time to have honest conversations and question with boldness on every issue. But some of the topics and some of the excuses and some of the policies put forward by Republicans and Conservatives this week has absolutely frightened me, has scared me. Because I don't think they're rooted in principle. I think either... I, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Maybe they, they actually believe this, or maybe they're just trying to, you know, come up with common sense, quote-unquote, solutions. I'm not sure. But the reason I've brought all of these issues to the table today is not to slam them. It's to tell you, to talk to you about them, and to see whether you believe them or not. Because the greatest people who will solve these issues are not the politicians, it's your people. And if you let your politicians know you're not happy with this, which I encourage you to do, if you're not happy with some of these solutions, let them know. Make your voices be heard. Make your voices. Imagine, dare I say this, imagine Hillary Clinton as president. And let your voices be known as if Hillary Clinton was president. That is what I would ask you to do. If you, if, if you disagree with me on everything I've said, then don't. Just, just let's go with it. Go with the flow. But if you agree, share my concerns, let your politicians know. Because when we come back, I want to talk to you about the conservative reaction to some of the things that have happened this week. And I want to talk to you about two things. One, Dick's Sporting Goods. And two, Delta Airlines and the NRA. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc. Isn't that called Anglo-Saxon too? Um, sure, okay. Do I have it wrong? Whatever you want, whatever you want to call. It. I have it wrong. You guys are giving me that call stupid look that I got it wrong. You want me to say it again? What? Is it Anglo-Saxon? <laughs> sure. What okay. do you want? Sure. Oh, I hate this so much. What? Because I know I have it at least half right. What is it? Which part do you have right? The Take Saxon. Okay. <laughs> then get the other part. Figure it out. The Morning Blaze, weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple, on demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for staying with me, America. If there's any of you who've stayed with me through the whole show, because I think I've annoyed pretty much everyone um, today, and... I don't say any of this to annoy you, I say this to, to talk principles to you and to get you to think. I'm not trying to agitate or to, to get you upset, I'm just trying to have an honest conversation with you and, and call to principles and, and get you to think. And if you disagree with me, that's totally fine. But I want to talk to you about economics today and for the last couple of minutes that we have together. And, but I want to relate it to, to continue it on with the gun debate that I've heard. When I see politicians say things that are not principled, I get a small bit frustrated. I don't care about your politicians. What upsets me more is this culture where we defend what I think is the indefensible. One of the tweets I saw this week, and I've never heard of this politician before. I did some research on him. He called himself a quote-unquote conservative, but hell, anyone can call themselves a conservative. That doesn't make them one. But it's the lieutenant governor of Georgia. Casey Cagle. And he put out a tweet this week which frustrated me. And what frustrated me more was people's reaction to it because they actually seemed to support it. In case you didn't see this tweet, let me read it out to you. I will kill any tax legislation that benefits Delta unless the company changes its position and fully reinstates its relationship with the NRA. Corporations cannot attack conservatives and expect us not to fight back. Some of the responses were, yeah, let's get them. Awesome. Attack them. Get them. It's about time someone stood up for us conservatives. First of all, let's just break this down part by part. If you have any semblance of understanding of what free market economics is, you will understand that any tax, quote-unquote, benefit, tax cut tax anything any of these words that they use when it basically means we're going to take less of your money what that means effectively is this is what it is in simple terms delta offers a service you fly on their planes and you fly from point a to point b and you pay them a fee it is their money. They have earned that money. They have provided you a service. They have brought you from point A to point B on a certain date at a certain time. And you have paid them. It is Delta's money. Now, because we are a society and you're a society that believes in taxes, you know, you have to pay a fair share what the government says. It can take 5%, it can take 10% of your money, 20%, 30%, 40%, whatever the laws and the books call for whatever the politicians of the day, whether they're Republican or Democrats or conservatives or liberals or libertarians, they determine what your fair share is. And you have to pay it. 
any tax cut or tax benefit, all they are doing is letting a company, in this case Delta, keep more of the money they earned because they provided you a service. And enough people are liking that service or satisfied with that service because they keep going back to them. The fact that you think as Lieutenant Governor, first of all, as Lieutenant Governor, that you have the power to kill any legislation is incredibly frightening because there's checks and balances, even in the States. Second of all, the fact that you think that just for political causes and for political reasons that you don't like, you can all of a sudden kill any legislation that lets them keep more of their own money. How is that conservative? How is saying you can't keep more of your money because you don't do a certain thing, how is that now a conservative position? Because I'd ask you to think, let me read this tweet out to you again, and then I'm going to change some words. I will kill any tax legislation that benefits Delta unless the company changes its position and fully reinstates its relationship with the NRA. Corporations cannot attack conservatives and expect us not to fight back. Now, so many people went, yeah. Let me read a tweet to you. Let's just change a couple of the words and see if you're still saying yeah after I change a few words. I will kill any tax legislation that benefits any company unless the company's changed its position and fully reinstates its relationship with Planned Parenthood. Corporations cannot attack Democrats and liberals and expect us not to fight back. Would you be still going, yeah, about that tweet? Since when is a government's job to determine winners and losers? Since when is a government's job to decide who gets a tax cut based on their tax policy or not? Conservatives traditionally believe in limited government. Limited government and leaving people the hell alone. That is not limited government, nor is it leaving people alone. Now, I know people say, but John, but John, they ha- they, you have to fight back against this. Yeah, okay, if you believe you have to fight back, then don't fly with Delta. Fly with someone else. But what frustrates me is conservatives who look at government, who are unhappy that their favorite organization or charity hasn't been supported, and get angry about it. As a business, as a business, your job is to offer a service or a product. I, I can be honest with you. I, I am a big supporter of the Second Amendment. I am a big supporter of the right to self-defense. And I'm a supporter in some ways of the NRA. Excuse me. <coughs> I don't look at the companies kind of going, well, I need to offer a service. I need to go fly into America. I'm going to go see who supports the NRA and then I'm going to go book a flight. I don't care. Now, I know some people might do that, but that's not me. I honestly believe, again, this is my policy, as a company, I would support nobody. I would just be a company and kind of go, my job is not to support people or to have relationships with people. I want to support everyone, or not support, but sell to everyone. Limiting my market by by selling to one agency and not to another is, is pointless. Everything has become political. Does Delta have the right not to have a relationship with the NRA? Absolutely. 
that we should defend that right. Not be attacking it. And if you're so upset about it, don't fly with Delta. Go fly with American. Go fly with, with JetBlue or ever who else it is. Which brings me to the second economic thing I want to talk to you about today. Dick's Sporting Goods. I've never been in Dick's Sporting Goods, and honestly, I never planned to be in Dick's Sporting Goods store. They changed their policy with guns this week. And I celebrate their change. <gasps> what? 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 You celebrate the change? Yeah, I celebrate that change. Because let's take a step back. Let's forget the policies that have been discussed for a minute. Let's just take a step back here. How do we want, as, as conservatives, who, who, if you believe in limited government, how do we solve a lot of the gun problems that we have? I believe true responsibility. True self-responsibility. We've discussed this earlier in the show. But I want to add one more responsibility to you. And that responsibility is to that person, and that organization, who sells the guns. I believe if a company sets out a policy... That says, look, we're concerned about gun violence. We're making this policy change. We're not selling to certain people of certain backgrounds. I think that's a good idea. I, I think the idea of a company who you know goes through all the procedures of, let's say an individual walks in and buys a gun, or goes to purchase a gun and, and goes through all the background checks that you go through, and the federal government and the checks come back clean. But that company, that the salesperson is like, there's something not right about that person. Just, I'm very uncomfortable with it. I think that we should celebrate that company kind of going, uh, I'm not selling you that gun. Not just setting up to the government standards that says, well, the government said it's okay, so we're just going to say okay. I believe in this notion that you actually do have a right to refuse service. I know it's controversial, but you do. I don't know whether it's legally possible, but I, be- I support that right. That everyone has a responsibility to ensure gun violence goes down and not always look to the federal government. Well, the federal government said it's okay, so why wouldn't we celebrate it? Why wouldn't we sell them the gun? Because you have good feelings. And it's up to the organization whether it trusts and empowers its staff to make that feeling. But also, companies have a responsibility to set out their policy. Not what the federal government said is right and wrong, but what they feel is right and wrong. If they feel it's not right to sell a gun to someone under 21, okay. If they feel it's not right to sell a quote-unquote high-capacity magazine, okay. If you feel it's not right to sell a bump stock, okay. You have that right. As When you're a business owner, you have the rights and responsibilities to decide how you run your business. Whether I like it or not is tough. doesn't matter. Here's why I celebrate it, though. Firstly, because it empowers the business to do what it thinks is best. But secondly, because of business, because of free market economics. Whether you know it or not, generally every purchase you make comes down to a P. And there are four P's. We've discussed this in the past, but I'll give you a brief refresher in case you've forgotten. They're called the four P's of marketing. Product, price, promotion, place. Product. I buy the product because I like it. I buy the gun because it feels good. It, it, I like the way it, it holds in my hand. I like the way it shoots. I like that it doesn't have a pullback. Or it doesn't have much of a kick. I like the grip. I like the color. It's pink. I love pink. 
I like the colour of the rifle. It's blue. It has blue at the end. I like the, the plastic features at the end. It makes the gun look more scary, like an AR-15, than compared to a wooden stock. Or I like the wooden stock. It's varnished. I love the product. It's accurate. It's straight. It's reliable. You're buying because of the product. Some people buy because of price. You know, not everyone has an unlimited budget to go in and spend, you know, two, three, four, five, six grand. You might only have 400, 500 bucks to buy a gun. If you only have four or 500 bucks, that limits you to the gun that you can buy. Promotion. Well, if you buy this gun, we'll give you two packs of bullets free. Oh, okay, well, then I like that gun. I'll buy it. Or if you buy, um, you know, uh, this gun, you'll get six months free to our gun range. Oh, that's really cool. I'll do that promotion or um, and I don't know if anyone does this in America I'm sure they do and I just don't know about it it's ignorance on my part promotion of a certain person owns a certain gun you know like Tiger Woods is Nike Air Jordans are Michael Jordan you just like the brand you like the promotion you want to be just like Tiger Woods and wear Nike clothes hit with Nike balls hit with Nike golf clubs you want to be like Tiger Woods you buy into that promotion or place Simple. There's only one place you can buy a gun in the country, and you have to in in your city. And if you if you want to go to another place, you have to travel like 70, 80 miles, and you may not be prepared to do that. So there's only one place, and you got to buy it. And they only have a selection of guns, and you got to buy it. They are the four P's of marketing. Every business, whether it consciously does this or doesn't do it, is always looking for a competitive advantage. It's looking for something unique. It's USP, it's unique selling point. What makes me different to my competitors? This is always hard to find, usually. Because at the end of the day, when you're selling a gun, you know, very few companies, you get them in at a similar price, so it's hard to compete on price. You know, your margin is your margin, you still gotta pay overheads. You know, your promotion, you know, if you're buying a gun because Tiger Wood endorsed it, you can buy it from me or anywhere else. It's hard to find your USP. When I saw this Dick's Sporting Goods, I kind of went, I think it's stupid. Do I support it? No. Would it make me, would it encourage me or discourage me to go shop in Dick's Sporting Goods? It would discourage me. But I celebrate it because that is just going to create a market advantage. That if someone says, how do I compete with Dick's Sporting Goods? They've just given you the way to compete. And you don't need to change your prices. You don't need to change your products. You don't need to change your promotions that you do. And you don't need to change the place you're at. You have your USP. You have your competitive advantage. We will do what Dick's won't do. When you understand free market economics, and I'm I'm not saying... This is just me. When you understand free market economics... It's a really empowering idea. The idea of freedom, but also the opportunities it provides. And instead of getting angry and slamming companies, I looked at that and I went, that's awesome. Some company should run a very successful marketing campaign, been the opposite, if they believe it. And that gives you UUSP. And that will create more jobs and it will have a transfer if they do it right. When you understand free market economics, it's so empowering. And it's so, the solutions are there. It's not about getting angry. It's about, wow, that's just such a wonderful advantage they've given us. Thanks to exporting goods. Because now we're going to take your spot. 
just something to think about. As I say, those two stories, what frustrated me more was quote-unquote conservatives' reaction to them. What we have to decide and we have to have honest conversations with, with people, and that's why I did today's show. I'm sorry if I annoyed you, it was not my intention, but there was so much that was troubling me and so many people's reaction that was like, that's a good thing. And I'm like, no, that's really not. We need to have honest conversations. Forget the media talking heads, forget the politicians, forget the mainstream media. Having conversations where we're reasonable, where we're, we're level-headed, where we're not shouting insults, we're not trying to win, we're having a conversation. I believe that is how we get more freedoms. I believe that is how we change the world. And that is what I've been trying to focus on for the last two, three, four months with you. And, and going back even further. To lay out the conversation with you so that you can take any of these arguments that you went, John made a good point there. I know it's bound to happen sometime. I'm going to take that point, make it my own, and I'm going to use it. That is the per sole purpose of this show. And I thank you so much for all your support. I hope you're having a wonderful and blessed weekend. As always, we finish this show the way we finish every show. By saluting the heroes in society. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women who 24-7, rain, hail, snow, or shine, are out there protecting us and making our society better. And lastly, if you heard nothing else today, you only hear this. Hear this one point. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because of each and every one of you. Never forget it. Donald Trump doesn't make America great. Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell does not make America great. Nancy Pelosi sure as hell doesn't. Chuck Schumer sure as hell doesn't. Casey Cagle doesn't. It's each and every one of you. Never, ever forget that. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 